Let's go ahead and uh, go to our Bibles to the book of Colossians. We've been studying this in Sunday school, and we're right there around uh, the middle part of chapter 1. Um, and that middle part of chapter 1 has got a lot of doctrine. Uh, when you really start getting in there and start, uh, uh, if you will, uh, sorting through it and identifying uh, the key important principles, uh, we, we, we find that this is, this is why it becomes, um, very important to know who Jesus Christ is. Uh, his attributes, his characteristics, uh, his design, his desires, all of this is, is necessary because when we start looking at all of these things, we see very clearly that the Lord is communicating to us Christ's proper position. And that's the preeminence. And when Christ is not preeminent in our life, meaning that he is before all things, if he is not, then we run the risk of being engaged in some very sinful activity and sinful doctrine. Uh, we can fall into some pretty serious traps that the devil lays for us. So we want to make sure that when we're looking at Scripture and we're looking at what God is teaching us about Jesus Christ, that it kind of goes with what we were talking about in the fear of the Lord, that we sanctify God in our hearts, that we sanctify that position of preeminence for Jesus Christ. That's his. It doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to anyone else. It doesn't belong to family members or friends or career or any of those things. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He should always be the preeminent one. And, and, and we're, we, we see this as we kind of go through these verses here. And, and I just want to pick up here in, in verse 13, and we'll get through uh, where we left off last week. And it says uh, in chapter 1 of Colossians, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. For he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So he goes through all of that to get to verse 18, which is the, 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 if you will, the main thrust of what he's getting at. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, this is an important subject matter, because if you look at mankind, mankind will stick something in that role of leadership. They, they they just will do that. That's kind of an automatic function. You you have a situation, and I've been in workplaces where uh, the general manager for a branch um, left. He went and started you know his own business and and did his own thing, and we were left without a general manager. So what had to happen? A bunch of people had to step up and fill those roles. And there were certain people that filled those roles in more of a leadership role, leading uh, that branch. And, and that happens in all sorts of situations. That's why democracy never works. 
Why? Because there's no head. There's no leadership. If there's no leadership involved, there's no head, then it's going to be utter chaos and anarchy. And when that begins and occurs, it allows for despotism to come in. It allows for somebody else to insert themselves in there and begin to take the reins and lead and rule. The same is true in our own life. If we do not have, as the scripture says, you know, rule over our own spirit, what, what occurs? Where city is broken down and without walls. Any, anybody can walk in and take over. And that's generally what happens. So when we look at the situation where we, we see that Paul is communicating to this church the necessity of Christ being that leader. The necessity of Christ being the head. Because direction has to come from him. Now again, remember, this is the church at Colossae. This was started by uh, 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 Epaphras that we, we, we mentioned beforehand. It wasn't started by Paul. Uh, Paul is writing to the church. But, you know, obviously it was part of Paul's ministry because of how that chain of witnessing and, if you will, the gospel had spread. But when we get to this point, we begin to realize that there's other people that are going to try to come in and set up shop. This is a similar situation that we saw over there with the, the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had all sorts of little groups. They were they were all divided into their own little sects and groups and cliques and everything, right? You got one that's following Apollos because he's the greater orator. You've got one that's following Paul because he, quote unquote, had better doctrine, if you want to say that. And I'm just kind of putting some little titles on there. There's those that said, well, we're following Christ the way that we should be. And all these other things, some are saying, well, no, 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 we need to be following what Peter says, because you had a mix of Jews and Gentiles at the church at Corinth, which is why that uh, the first Corinthians seems very odd, because it talks about things that were relating to Gentiles and things relating to Jews and the mix thereof. But what we find is that there was no specific central leadership. And this is what becomes very important in our life is that God is the center of it, center of our life. He is the, 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 the head. He is the one that, that directs us. Everything that we do in this Christian life should consist for the pleasing of Christ. This is the mindset that we see here. We left off right there around verse 16, where it was talking about, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things are created by him and for him. And we know that this obviously relates over there to a little bit of what we see in the book of Revelation. We'll get to some passages over there in just a moment. But when we look at that verse, it becomes very apparent that there's a lot going on in this earth, in this universe, that we are not aware of. Uh, there, there is so much going on at the micro level that it becomes very difficult for us to even fathom. Um, if you start looking at everything that is involved in, say, microbiology, 
You're, you're, you're going to walk away, as, as my professor in microbiology said, you're going to walk away from this course with one of two things happening. You're either going to have a greater understanding of, uh, of this world and, uh, and you're going to be, uh, you know, it's going to lead you into some other thought processes and development, or, uh, you're going to become a germaphobe. <laughs> And, uh, because that's what we studied. Microbiology was the study of all those viruses and bacterias and, and, uh, um, kind of, if you will, figuring out where they come from, what they do. And, uh, there was a lot of lab work. We were taking nasal swabs from each other and doing DNA testing, you know, I mean, all sorts of fun stuff. And I, you know, I enjoyed the class. Um, but, but I'll tell you this, it was interesting to see how much exactly was there when it came to the small little portions of things, the small little things. And it gets even smaller than that. It gets even smaller than that. So, so again, let's begin to think about this for a moment and we begin to think about exactly what God makes visible to us. How many years did it take before we developed microscopes to see some of the even the, the, the basic structures of things? How long did it take for us to develop the electron microscope where we can see even further than that? And when we begin to realize all of these things, quote unquote, are invisible to us, we can take and apply that. What is the invisible force that holds our body together? Well, that's God. What holds our atoms together? Well, that's Christ. We understand those concepts. And as we begin to look at the rest of the world, we find that there's even more things that are invisible. Have we ever seen to the bottom of the ocean? Anybody ever been to the bottom of the ocean? Anybody have a desire to go to the bottom of the ocean? I started talking about Davy Jones locker or something like that, you know, but, but, but you, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, it's interesting and fascinating what they find at the bottom of the sea, but we know there's a bottom of the sea. We know there's a bottom of the sea. We know that there's, there, there's something at the bottom and people are always constantly researching and exploring it. We can't, we can't visually see that. We actually have to send something down there to go see it. But we understand it's there. Another perfect example is, do we, I mean, again, have, have we seen the other worlds, the other planets that exist and what they look like? Well, we've seen some artist's impression. We've seen some photos and, and things from telescopes and so on and so forth. And we've seen the pictures that come back from Mars and so on and so forth. Uh, unless you believe the conspiracy theory that that's actually somewhere in California. But, um, but I, I mean, again, regardless of all that, let's think about this for a moment. We haven't seen all those things, but yet we know they exist. Have we seen each one of the stars up close and personal like we can even sort of see our sun? But we know they exist. Furthermore, the key important part when he starts talking about invisible here, he's not necessarily talking about the physical things. He's talking about the spiritual things. Can we see those invisible things? Because as he goes through and he begins to talk about this here, and and while he's not necessarily talking about 
Romans chapter 13, where he's talking about physical governments that are in place and the purpose behind them. Here he says, for by him are all things created, in verse 16, that are in heaven and, and that, w- that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Well, that sounds very familiar to Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Turn over there to Ephesians chapter 6. As I said, there's some parallels between Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. They say a lot of the same things. They have things phrased very similar. And in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Each nation that exists has a prince associated with it. Each kingdom. Daniel chapter 10 begins to teach us this. Uh, if you go over to Daniel chapter 10, you find a very interesting thing that takes place. Daniel doesn't get an answer from God for three weeks. Uh, come to find out the reason why is because the angel that was sent got delayed in a fight. And that fight was with the prince of Persia. It's like, whoa, that's interesting. And then that, uh, that angel delivers the message to Daniel and says, okay, I gotta go because I had left is, uh, you know, the prince of Israel, Michael the archangel, who is the prince of Israel. Uh, Michael is associated with Israel. He always is and always will be. So whenever you see him, you gotta understand who he's fighting for. Um, but, uh, he, he makes mention of uh, another kingdom. He says that, he, that, uh, following this prince of Persia is going to be the prince of Grecia. And what do we find? We find that that lines up exactly with scripture. That lines up with Daniel's prophecy. That lines up with Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, image that he saw. It lines up with all of those things that we know about what came next with Alexander the Great. But we see all of that. And we understand that each one of these kingdoms of the earth have entities, spiritual entities, that are ruling, that are in place. And there's some that are good and there's some that are bad. There are some countries that are trying to do what is right. And we look at the world today and we go, well, nobody's trying to do that which is right. And we understand that concept. But there are still some that have the moral compass. As we get closer to the end, we realize that that's not the case. And it seems like those principalities and powers are very clearly ruling in the spiritual darkness, as we saw over there in Ephesians. And he says, this is what we fight against. This is what we fight against. How do you fight something you can't see? How do you fight an enemy that you cannot tell whether they're there next to you or whether they're not. Well, that means you got to rely on the Lord. You got to trust Him. You got to trust the equipment of the armor of God, i.e., the Word of God. All of those things need to be present. But here he is making this statement, and the reason that he's making this statement is, is for us to realize this concept that even those have to answer to someone. All of those, those spiritual entities, these, as he says here, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, 
And whether we're talking about here physically on earth, a, a king that's ruling and reigning, or a president, or, or a prime minister, or a dictator, or whoever it may be that's in place, all of them have to respond, if you will, and have a responsibility about how they ruled, and they're going to have to answer to Christ for it. That's something that is very, very, very important for us to understand. All authority at some point in time is going to answer how they ruled. Now, we can sit there and we can say, oh, thankfully, we're going to get, you know, get somebody to finally answer for, uh, you know, misplaced classified documents, right? <clears throat> I'm just sitting there thinking, you realize it's not just the last two? Come on. Let's go raid the rest of them. Let's start digging through their archives. I mean, whatever. It just, it just it, to me, I just look at it and go, "Okay, fine." It's just more of the same, you know. It, it just it doesn't matter. But 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 the end result is 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 this is that they're going to have to answer, right? But you realize that anybody that puts in is put in authority is going to have to answer to some things. Uh, I'm going to have to answer to uh, authority that I've been given in regards to pastoring a church. I have to give an answer for it. I also am going to have to give an answer uh, how I ruled the home. Mm-hmm. Every father is going to have to give an answer to how they ruled the home. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're put in a position of authority. Well, that should terrify just about every father that's out there. Imagine right now, if all of a sudden you got called to Jesus Christ's office, <laughs> you, you, you get a you, you get a phone call and you and you, you answer it and you're like, "Hello, yes, uh, this is this is uh, Angel Gabriel, and I'm uh, calling on behalf of Jesus Christ. Um, he would like to schedule an appointment for you to come see him at such and such a time." And you're like, "Ah." Oh, no, no, don't worry. You're not going to die. We're just going to go ahead and call you up in the spirit, and you're going to be up there just for a little bit, kind of like John was. So just, you know, don't worry about that. You'll still have your physical body. We'll send you back. And you're like, I'm not sure I want that. <laughs> Could you imagine that conversation? Oh, man. And then he sits you down, and you're in his office, and you're sitting down in the, the, in the most comfortable chair you've ever been in. Because there's no uncomfortable chairs in heaven, Right? You sit in that chair and you're like, oh, this is nice. I need one of these. And you're like, oh, you'll get one. You know, your mansion's right over there. We're, you know, in the process of building it. But construction stopped because we got a couple of questions. And you're like, oh, no. (laughs) Could you imagine the terror that would be there going on inside your mind? It just, again... We have to understand that if Christ is the head, we have to put him in that place. It's not just that he's going to default into it. It's something that we have to allow him to be there. If we don't allow him to do that, then we've got a problem. We're rebellious. We're rebelling against the authority of God. 
And here he is, he's warning, and I'll tell you, one of the very first things that happens when false doctrine creeps into anybody's life, it is a rebellion against God. Take a look at all the things that went on in Scripture when false doctrine started creeping in. It was all discounting the Word of God, rebellious to Christ, who is the Word. So here we are looking at this and he's saying it doesn't matter whether it's thrones or dominions or powers. Because again, go go over to the book of Job. Go to the very first uh, chapter of Job. Very first chapter of Job. And and I'm, I'm sure we've all seen this before. As you've read through the book of Job and, and, and you get some head scratching questions with Job and about what's going on and, and you start looking at Job's friends and going, Hey, I think I know that guy. Um, but as you go through this, um, in verse six of Job chapter one, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Here they are. They have to answer. They have to answer. This still goes on today. This hasn't stopped, folks. And as we go through this, you know, he's going down. He he begins asking questions. In verse 7, the Lord said unto Satan, uh, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Do you think the Lord didn't know where he was and what he was doing? No. Why does the Lord ask that? It's a test. Are you going to be truthful? Well, he answered it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Does God say that about us? Moving on. We don't want to get too much conviction on Sunday morning. <clears throat> and Satan answered and said, uh, answered the Lord and said, This Job fear God for naught. Hast not thou made hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hand and substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. This is probably one of the most distressing things that I think I've ever heard. That I've ever read. What's the issue here? Now, again, I understand who it is, but here's Satan, and he is not happy that somebody else is getting a blessing. He is not happy that somebody else gets a blessing. You know what happens when you're not happy when somebody else gets a blessing? Four-letter word that creeps in there, envy. And it's related to the five-letter word, pride. And who's the first one to start talking about pride? This guy right here. See how quickly things jump? How, how they escalate so fast? And here he is. I mean, here's Job just getting blessed. Why? Because he just fears God. The devil isn't, he's not perfect and upright. <laughs> not even at all. But what, what happens here, and the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. You know what? Job was protected. 
he wanted to go do something and anytime somebody would, or anytime he would send either one of his minions or he himself, there was a hard stop. Stopped at the gate. Where are you going, Satan? Well, I'm going to go persecute Job. No, you're not. The Lord said you're not. Just like Michael the archangel. When he was fighting Satan over uh, Moses' body over there in the book of Jude where he mentions it, which is really creepy. Um, Michael the archangel responded with what? Thus saith the Lord, the word of God. It wasn't because of Michael's power. It was because of the power of the word of God. That's where the power was. Nowhere else. Why do you think everyone attacks the word of God? Oh, it's filled with errors. Oh, it's written by men. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Yeah. Why? Because they want to remove the power source. Because if you don't have any power, what happens? You're weak and you'll just be sifted as wheat. You have no armor. You have no sword. You're done. You're a landscape that the tanks are rolling over. That sounds brutal, but you know, that's kind of the concept. This is why it's necessary to have these things. But those principalities and powers that he talks about here and he talks about over there with uh, uh, um, in Ephesians 6, they all still have to answer. And if they all still have to answer, we need to make sure we understand that concept. Going back over to Colossians chapter 16, or uh, Colossians chapter 16, ha. chapter 1 verse 16, you know, we, we, we realize that it's, it, it's by Christ that God is revealed through the creative power of his word. I mean, he makes mention there, he says, for by him were all things created. Well, who's by him? His dear son. And how did he create things? And God said, let there be light. Very first thing. God's creating the heavens and the earth, all of these things. Breathed into to man the breath of life. I mean, all of this was created by the power of God and his word. And we begin to see where, if you will, the, the, the power of Christ. Who he is. It never ceases to amaze me, you know, these people that, that, that believe in some of these false doctrines that are out there. Think about this for a minute. There, there are, are people out there that have these false doctrines and ideas about Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit. And they, and they put God the Father if you will, as the top, the premier, and then God the Son as kind of, if you will, this secondary God, and the Holy Spirit's just kind of, if you will, the admin. That's like, what? And they just kind of like, well, you know, I mean, there's a hierarchy. I'm like, no, they're all equal. They're all one. God is, is, is demonstrating his power through the power of creation of his word by his word. 
And, and, and that becomes a most, one of the most powerful things. The power of the resurrection. All of this is centered around Jesus Christ. And the reason that this becomes very important when we start seeing all these things being revealed is because if we do not have Christ in the preeminent place, we are powerless. Wrong type of leadership will lead to a catastrophic situation. Go over to Romans chapter 1, and again, see what, what, what God's doing here. And in Romans chapter 1, all of these things he, he starts going through, uh, talking about, you know, in verse 16, he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So there's Paul again talking about the power of Jesus Christ. And as we go through, he starts talking about being uh, God being made manifest and showing him things in verse 20. It says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Everything in creation points back to God. Points back to the power of God in creation. Points back to the Holy Spirit who had a, if you will, a role in that you know, creation act because it was the Spirit of God that was moving across the face of the waters over there in Genesis 1. So we see all of this being connected. Why is this? So that God can show man is without excuse. They do not have an excuse to say, I didn't know. I didn't know. Have you ever been ignorant of something before that you just didn't know? And then, and then somebody revealed it to you and you go, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Now I know. The, the, it doesn't work that way. Nobody's going to be able to get to heaven or not, or not get to heaven, but to stand in front of Jesus Christ and sit there and, or stand there. They're not going to be sitting. They're going to stand there, uh, all, or at least be on their knees. And they're not going to be able to say anything, especially uttering any words of, I didn't know you existed. And then we've got all of this stuff with science that's out there. We've got all this stuff with, with what, or I should say, what people call science, falsely so-called, teaching something else, that it was actually an amoeba on a rock infinitesimal little particle is smaller than the period of a page, blah, 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 blah. All of it doesn't make any sense. All of it doesn't make any sense. Have you ever tried to hear them explain it? It's hilarious if it wasn't so disgusting. I, I, there, there's a documentary and this one guy was being asked about where he thought life came from. And, and he, he, he said, well, from crystals. Like you've been smoking that crystal. I mean, what are you talking about? Uh, what do you mean crystal? 
And he's like, well, crystals. He said crystals hopped, you know, hopped on the back of proteins and rode them in, and, and that's where life came from. He's like, no, 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 where did life come from? He goes, no, you don't understand. It came from crystals. How many times do I have to tell you? And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. And then we, you know, then they're sitting there saying, well, that doesn't make any sense when you say that God created everything. No, that makes perfect sense. When you look at it from a design standpoint, it's the only logical conclusion. Clearly revealed, even his Godhead, and what does it say? Even his eternal power. So that they're without excuse. God created everything with his eternal power. That power has always existed. It has never not been present. Jesus Christ has never not been present. Why? Because he is God. It points about, it points through scripture over and over and over and over and over again who Jesus Christ is, that he is the Lord, that he is God. And you get these other doctrines out there that say, well, no, he was actually just a man, just like God the Father was a man, and, and, and he had Jesus the Son, one of his spirit babies, and, uh, he, 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 you know, he's, he's kind of, so Jesus is kind of God of this earth, but, uh, you know, he's still, there's another God that's above him, and above them, uh, above him, there, there may be another God, but we don't know anything about that other God, and it's just like, what are you talking about? The Bible says there are no other gods. It's him and him alone. See how quickly when Jesus Christ is not preeminent, you go into something that's a false doctrine. Because again, it takes away from who Jesus Christ is. You take away from the divinity of God, his divine nature, his power, you erode the principles of God himself. And people will wind up being brought back into bondage of sin and legalism like that. Paul's warning them here. Those things that we talk about, physical and, 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 and spiritual uh, all those observable forces that we see going back over there, Colossians chapter 1, uh, all of those things, all the laws of nature as well, all those things being evident. God created them, and, and, and Christ is, if you will, linked directly to God by saying, created by him in verse 16. He's directly linked to God, for by him were all things created. It makes it very clear. All things were created by him and for him. Because Genesis 1-1 makes that connection, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1 makes it really clear. John 1-1 makes it clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it makes mention that all things were created by him in that passage as well. 
There's the parallel that we've seen that we already talked about last week. But, but, but as we look at all of this, we, we see that they were created for him. Revelation 4.11 is probably one of the best passages that clearly explains the things as those 24 elders are casting their crowns before the Lord and and the four beasts are singing praises to to, to the lamb slain to, to, to God himself. What do we find here? We find that it says they were created by him and for him, for his pleasure they were created. For his pleasure. They were created to please him. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. In Proverbs chapter 16. If you're reading your uh, Proverbs a day, you're going to read this one here really soon. In uh, verse uh, verse four, it says, "The Lord hath made all things for Himself, even for the wicked, for the day of evil." Okay, let's let's just quickly explain that last phrase. It didn't say He created them wicked. He created them. They chose the wickedness. The big difference. But it says here, "The Lord made all things for Himself." They're for him. Why is it that we become all of a sudden so possessive of everything that we have? It's not ours. Everything's mine. Mine, 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 mine. Right? We're like a bunch of two-year-olds fighting it out. Let's think about this for a second. You, you you put a bunch of kids together. Inevitably, you sit there and you see them, and they're all playing there, and they all look cute and sweet, things like that, right up until the point of where one of them has something that the other one wants. And then what happens? The smacking starts. The pulling, the pushing, the weeping, the wailing, the gnashing of teeth. The, I mean, all sorts of stuff happens. And it, I mean, it escalates from, from, you know, oh, there's nice, peaceful, calm to, oh my, what just happened? It gets ugly fast. It's a, it, 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 let's just put it this way. It's just kind of a picture of adults. You, you want to see how depraved man can get? Just leave kids alone. Just step out of the room for a moment. Psychologists even have terms for it. They call it the marshmallow experiment. They put a single solitary marshmallow in front of the kid and say, don't touch it. And then they leave the room. And you watch these kids go through agony. As they, I mean, they become so obsessed and focused on what they've been told they can't have. Right. And that's the way it works with this life. 
This is, this is why this principle that Paul is teaching, this is why this doctrine is so important. It's not yours. It never was yours. God's just letting you use it. The food that we have on our plate, that's not yours. That's not your burrito. That's not your corn dog. That's God's who's allowing you to consume it. That's not your house that you bought. Why? Because it wasn't your money. Because it wasn't your job. Because it's not your life. Oh, so it's all about him. Yes. We get that understanding, you know, that whole idea of covetousness all of a sudden takes on a whole different realm. Let's think about this for a moment. You lust and you covet after something that you can't have. You look at it and you go, oh man, I want that. Well, whose is it? Who does it belong to? Well, it might belong to my neighbor. It might belong to this person and that person. I get that. But but in the end, who does it really belong to? They're just borrowing it. They're just borrowing it. You see a rental car. Your friend pulls up in a rental car and you're like, oh, wow, that's a nice rental car. And you, and you, and you begin to lust after it and you think about stealing it. Hopefully you don't. If not, please see me after service. We got some things to talk about. But you know, there's the mindset there of like, oh, hey, that's it. You know, really like that. Well, it's not even, it's not even your friend's car. It belongs to the rental company. But it's not even the rental companies. Basically, what happens with covetousness and lusting is we start contemplating stealing from God. Taking what does not belong to us. We talk about robbing God. We talk about stealing from him from vengeance and, 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 and things of that nature. But if we really put everything into the perspective of the preeminence of Christ, that by him all things were created and there were for him they were created, that means they're his. Why would I sit there and want to lust and think about stealing or taking something away that's God's and claiming it as mine? We, we, we enter into this realm of where we, we, we start getting this, this thought process about what, uh, what's important in life. What we should really want what we should really desire is Christ above everything. Everything else will fall into place. Everything else will, will, will be handled by him. You know, back in this, this, this period of time, you know, there was, there was a lot of this, uh, uh, if you will, common teaching among, uh, the Jewish Religious groups, 
And, and it didn't matter which ones you were talking about, whether you're talking about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the Herodians. Uh, all of them had this idea and this concept that the, everything that was created was not for, for, for God. Now, obviously, they didn't think it was created for Christ, but they didn't think it was created for for God. So Paul is actually having to kind of, if you will, combat this false doctrine that was around at this time. And that false doctrine is that everything that it was created was created for the Jew. The earth? Oh no, that wasn't created for Christ. That belongs to, to, to Israel. All the things that you see? Oh no, that wasn't created for God. That's for the Israel, Israelite. Well, what happens is they put the, themselves in the place of preeminence. And here he is, you know, he's, he's, he's effectively dispelling that whole argument here by saying, no, 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 no. You look, Christ is preeminent. He's the one we worship. He's the one that we, we seek after. He's the one that, that, that we follow after. He's the one that we realize everything is his to begin with. Yeah, I understand the promises that he's given to Israel. But it still says it's his. Why? Because he's the king. He's still king over them. You know what they wanted? They wanted another king that was of the flesh. You see what? God God accommodated them. God accommodated them on two occasions. First occasion is when he instituted Saul, and then after that, David, and then all that line of physical kings. Isn't that interesting? What happened to all those lines of physical kings? Some of them started out pretty good, and in the end, it just ended horribly, right? What's the second time he accommodated them? Jesus Christ came in the flesh. What did they respond with that one? They killed him. No, it was all about themselves. And I'll tell you this, it's the same danger that everybody falls into. And while I may be pointing out the, the nation of Israel doing that, every other nation, Gentile, uh, uh, Gentile nation that was out there was doing the exact same thing. Why is it that, you know, you go through all of those stories and plot lines, and what is it the, the supervillain wants? World domination. World domination. Why is that? Because that is what Satan himself wants. Because if he can be ruler of this earth, he can set himself up as God. And while he may have influence now and kingdoms may be associated to him, the the Bible still makes it clear they're still gods. They still belong to him. And in verse 17, you know, it says he is before all things and by him all things consist. This is something that we, we really truly need to understand. It means that, that therefore Christ is over all. He's over everything. He's over all of the laws of nature. He's over all of the molecules. He's, he, he's that, you know what he is? He's the first and he is the very power of nature. 
This is why that whole concept of mother nature is so blasphemous. It is beyond blasphemous. And then they start referring to mother nature as a her, and I'm just like, a cringe. Why is that? Because the very power of what holds them all together, uh, his pronoun usage is a he. And he's holding it all together. And he's keeping it. And, 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 and again, if he can do that, there is immense power that's there. Let's turn to one other passage and we'll be, we'll be done with these two verses in Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one. And again, this is, this is important because Hebrews is directly to the Hebrews about why Christ is so much better than what they've got now. Um, in Hebrews chapter one in, in verse three, talking about Jesus Christ, um, and uh, it says in verse three, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, which we've read before and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he himself had purged our, himself purged our sins and sat down at the uh, right hand of the majesty on high. I want to sh- I want to point that out. Upholding all things by the word of his power. It was all about how he holds it together. He holds it all up. It stays there. It doesn't move. It's all focused on him. And this is what we as believers need to understand, need to realize. It's all about Jesus Christ. This entire book is about him. Our entire life should be about him. Our entire existence is, if you will, owed to him. And even the unbeliever needs to understand that so that they can begin to see how Jesus Christ can save them from their sins. Because even them, God still owns them. That body's on loan. Next week, we'll pick up uh, talking a bit more about verse 18, where, you know, the important part where he gets at, there has to be a structure to this body of Christ. And that head is him. And nothing turns the head but Jesus Christ himself. And we will get into that in a little bit, uh, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer for our Sunday school. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you continue to teach us about you and about yourself, about your power, about your word. I pray, Lord, we'd take these things, we would uh, hold them near and dear to our hearts, that, Lord, we would use them and apply them in a way that you will have preeminence over all that we do, that, Lord, you will be the first stop when it comes to judgment, when it comes to discernment, when it comes to our actions, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes of heart, that, Lord, it would be all about you, because it is by you we are saved. It is by you that we were created. It is by you that we consist. And, Lord, may we have that thought throughout our life that we would please you and honor you with all that we have. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.